Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to another episode of Wild Wild Podcast and this time I'm very pleased to welcome back to the podcast my incredibly patient co-host <laughs> Professor Rod Barnett. Oh Professor I've now got a I've got, yeah. I've got a, a, a title of a, of a sort I'm impressed okay. <laughs> Professori. Um, <laughs> yeah welcome everybody so the last we've had a couple of kind of in between episodes um, recently, I did uh, an interview with Elia Faroli, who uh, is the founder of Malombra Films. I don't know if, if you've listened to that, uh, great. If you haven't, do go back and have a listen to that one. They are um, crowdfunding their first Blu-ray release, The Sex of Angels, and they're about 50% there. So do um, have a look at that. It's on Indiegogo. Um, and then also, I just posted an episode of me basically wandering around Italy last week. Uh, so, ah, uh, it was so hot. Oh, dear. There were a few things I forgot to record, actually, because half the time my brain wasn't really functioning properly because it was too hot. Um, but also, I think that might have made it run on a bit too long. But it was really fun anyway. So, if anyone's listened to that, then uh, thank you for doing that. But... Very pleased to now be back on to our Polizia Teschi films. Um, but before we uh, before we get to that, as it's been a little while, um, I'm trying to think when we did Revolver. That was, what, was about a month was ago, wasn't it? Yeah, about a month ago. So, um, Rod, uh, do you want to briefly give us a rundown on what you've been up to in the last month? Oh, my goodness. Uh, I guess the only thing of real interest or note is um, the uh, my, my return to the... Uh, annual monster bash convention up in pittsburgh the end of june classic always fun uh lots of lots of people that i only get to see there and uh a lot of camaraderie and and uh uh, joking and laughing and and drinking and talking and 
staying up far too late, uh, only partially marred by my uh, by my Friday night uh, kidney stone attack, which was terrible. But you know, <laughs> you lived to, you learned to live wow. with this kind of crap. I see. Well, that's uh, some real life horror there. <laughs> it's some it's some real life, uh, you know, groaning in pain and taking painkillers and wondering why, oh, why you were cursed with such an affliction. But yeah. <laughs> it would have been uh, it would have been good if that had happened during a screening of something like Alien or something <laughs> like that. Like a, well, I mean, I have really, uh, really immersive. Uh, I have described in the past uh, having a kidney stone attack as feeling as if there is a, uh, a, a very toothy and clawy creature inside your body attempting to rip its way out your side mm. it's uh, it's a lot of fun i highly recommend mm. it to absolutely no one <laughs> isn't friday night normally mexican movie night oh uh, yeah this was well after that uh, this this woke oh, okay. me up this woke me up out of a of a sound sleep which is the the way kidney stones love to attack they lay in wait and then once you're comfortable and snoozing snoozing very very effectively they uh they attempt to rip themselves through your body and kill you. So yeah, it's great. Nice, very nice. So that aside, uh, were there any celebrities or anything like that that the Monster Bash this year? Uh, yeah, actually, uh, Caroline Monroe was there. Uh, she's she's <laughs> there every few years, and she's always yeah. a joy, of course. And mm-hmm. uh, also another Harryhausen alum, uh, Patrick Wayne, who is a much rarer sight, I have to admit. That's spent, John John Wayne's son, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was in uh, um, Sinbad in the Eye of the Tiger, as well as you know quite a lot of other films. But yeah. uh, the uh, my 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 joy was uh, I, I only had questions for him about uh, the uh, rather uh, well. How should I put this? The the fi- the film we'll call it a film uh, Beyond Atlantis, which, uh, he was highly amused to talk about. Uh, he, I'm far from the only one to quiz him about this particular movie, but mm-hmm. I did, I did ask some, uh, some pointed questions about, um, uh, co-star Sid Haig and, uh, he, he loved Sid. He and, he and Sid apparently got along very well and, uh, apparently may have uh, remained in touch for years and years after the fact. But uh, he also had very kind words for his female co-star, who he clearly, clearly had lustful eyes for. So, <laughs> I think I've seen Beyond Atlantis. Is that a '60s movie? Uh, no, 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 early '70s. When was that? Oh, Mid '70s, oh, I think, like '74. I, I think maybe it's another Atlantis film. I'm but yeah, it's uh, it's one of those Filipino shot things oh, with John I... Ashley. No, um, no, I'm thinking of a different one. Yeah, when I say Filipino shot John Ashley film, I've only narrowed it down to roughly 50 movies, so, mm. Mm, yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. Wow, okay, so um, that sounds like fun. Obviously, Caroline Monroe um, is always delightful uh, and loves meeting her fans and seems to be a monster bash and those kind of things all the time. Yeah, don't yeah. Know how, don't know how she has time for anything else. Over here, she... Um, is a regular presenter on Talking Pictures TV, where she has her own kind of um, horror host slot. Oh. So she she introduces ho- horror film double bills on Talking Pictures, which is pretty cool. I had no idea about all oh, that's yeah. Uh, yeah very yeah. cool. So yeah, so she's still working uh, in that from that point of view. Um, cool. Well, yeah, and uh, getting to, to Pittsburgh, that must be like me traveling across Europe. I mean that's far away for you, isn't it? Yeah, it's a full day's drive. It's 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 a long drive. Uh, I have on occasion in the past 
uh, flown up, but the 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 freedom to actually have your car while you're there so that you can, mm. you know, go out to other places. Because I have friends who live in, in, in the Pittsburgh area. And so, you know, going up a little bit early or staying at, you know, staying an extra day and being able to actually see some, some folks that you don't normally get to see is, uh, is part of it as well. But, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a it, long drive. It also means you can fill your car up with all the stuff that you buy when you're there. That is always a plus. <laughs> I have in past years, uh, this is, I, I guess, about 20 years ago now. God, I'm getting old. Uh, I have gone, I have flown to uh, an event of that type. I can't remember which one it was where I, I purchased far too much and so uh, availed myself of the ability to like box it all up and mail it to myself rather than attempt to... Yeah. Lie, lie, lie my way onto the plane with something claiming it was, you know, like a, a human heart on its way to a hospital or something. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I had a similar problem coming back from Italy. I bought, um, I basically went out with one bag and came home with two because I bought so much junk. Yeah, it'll uh, happen. Mostly, mostly books, but um, some of which I can't read. But and it was, but it was funny. <laughs> uh, but right, anyway, I won't go on about that because hopefully people will have listened to me bang on about that in the last episode let's get to our film for this week with a few different titles but we'll go with the young well i've heard it said young violent dangerous or young violent and dangerous uh in italian it, it is liberi amati pericolosi which actually translates from what i can tell as free armed and dangerous so slightly different translation yeah. actually um, but yeah, this is a film that I was previously unfamiliar with. I picked up the Blu-ray from Cineploit, an Austrian company, um, and I just sort of bought it almost on a whim, <laughs> really, uh, because I liked the cover, and I had no idea who was in it, what it was about, except it was some obviously a police thriller, but I knew very little about it until I actually put it on to watch it to do this. Um, is this a film that you were already familiar with, Rod? Oh yeah, I've seen this film two or three times uh, okay. in the past. Uh, I forget exactly. I think I may have seen it as a as a bootleg originally, but I've owned the DVD for a while, and um, I, I at least the DVD that Raro released over here in the states. Mm-hmm. And I have to admit, um, I, I was a little shocked when I started to look around the internet before we started talking about this movie to, to learn that it that it's kind of. I wouldn't say looked down upon, but it's considered one of the one of the lesser of this genre, and I think that that's a little ridiculous. I've, I'm I'm not going to hide the fact that I, I'm really impressed by this film. I, I've always yeah. liked it, but at yeah, the same time, great. yeah, it's it's a fantastic film. But at the same time, it's one of those things where I think that what causes some people who are fans of the uh, of of this particular genre to kind of push themselves away from it is that it is also a combination of another genre because it is almost half and half 
police procedural, you know, cop movie, and kind of a throwback to the juvenile delinquent films of the mm. of the fifties and sixties. Uh, it's yeah. it's it's got. I mean, that's that's what's that's the engine driving this entire thing is these juvenile delinquent lunatics kind of doing insane things, and it's um, I think it's that aspect of it. That and yeah. I think that some people consider it a bit of a bait and switch because if, if you look at the the, the classic uh, poster art for the for, for the film, uh, I think a lot of people think, "Aha! It's going to be uh, you know, it's it's going to be uh, Th- uh, Thomas Melian, you know, m- you know, tracking down and murdering scumbags like you know mm. he did in about oh I don't know ten other movies yeah. in the yeah, 1970s. This is, this is not your Dirty Harry ripoff like some of the others. No, 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 it's not. It's it's a different kind of animal. And, I mean, Thomas Millian, I didn't even recognise him to begin with. I was watching this film thinking, oh, is Thomas Millian in this? Which one is he? And I was looking at the three criminals because I just assumed he'd be one of those. <laughs> and I'd completely looked past the fact that, oh, yeah, that's... It, he just he looked so different. He looks more sort of middle-aged here, whereas... In the mm-hmm. other films that we've seen him in, and the ones that we've covered, and many others, he tends to be the kind of younger, crazy guy, um, and he often has that eye shade, uh, the eyeliner, and he's got curly hair and a beard. And in this film, he just looks so different. I honestly didn't recognize him. It's amazing what a about it's half amazing an what a. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, but it's it's amazing what a haircut and a three-piece suit will do to change mm. the look of someone, isn't it? Yeah, and he sort of dropped the um, the the eyeliner as well, sort of the makeup. <laughs> but it was funny, last week, so when I was in Italy, and I'd turn on the TV at night, and um, a few times I caught old movies, and Thomas Millian popped up a couple of times, and I, I don't know what the film was, but he was wearing a really long kind of Doctor Who scarf. Um, it looked like he was walking around New York. He had curly hair and a big scarf and a beard. And it was, looked like it was quite funny. And I don't know I don't know if that description sounds anything to you. Uh, uh, that, that Honestly, that rings a bell. I think yeah. that's... See, I don't there know which was, one it was, but I wish I could remember more clearly that you know the individual films that he starred in as often a cop, but sometimes as a scumbag. And I think the film you're talking about, I have a vague memory of something that you're describing. What you're describing is being in a particular film where he's playing a cop, but mm-hmm. Milian's performance in that, it, it, I would describe as one of his most disappointing. If I can only remember what film it was, because I remember watching the movie and going, Milian did not want to be here. <laughs> yeah i mean it He's... seemed it, i don't know what it was i only watched a bit of it because i couldn't really tell what it was but but it seemed like it was quite comedic it was closer to an italian comedy than um a decent kind of cop thriller but he was know. very much he was very much in the overacting um crazy thomas millian mode oh well then and, this is this is definitely not the film i'm thinking so very different from um from this movie where he's completely unrecognizable there's an interesting interview with the director on the blu-ray romolo Guer- i don't know how to pronounce it romolo guerrieri something like that um, but it's also repeated in a similar story is repeated in the um, roberto curti book where basically thomas Millian was was sort of hesitant about taking this role 
hmm. um, because it was so different from his usual sort of thing. And um, so the director talked to him and basically he encouraged him to get rid of the curly hair, comb his hair down, get rid of the makeup, you know, shave a bit. So he's just got the moustache and he looks so different. And he said that um, after they had the premiere, Thomas Millian came up to him and hugged him and thanked him because he'd seen himself on screen as a completely different, like this kind of, I suppose if you get used to watching Thomas Millian in a certain type of film, you just think, oh, that's the only kind of thing he can do. But then watching this movie, it's like, no, actually, he was a really good actor. He's doing something completely oh, different yeah. here. He could he's, he's an ex- he's an, He was an exceptional actor. Yeah. It, is, it is roles like this where he's... I, I would have thought that as an actor, he would have wanted to do something like this because it, it it's so different in tone and texture from what he'd mm. been doing you know, in so many other films at the time that it would show his range and also kind of give him a chance to stretch. I mean, you know, you, there's no way to get... There's no way to get lazy if you're having to kind of rethink what you're doing when the camera's on you for a role. You know, you have to kind of, you know, come up with a different way to present yourself. And, you know, this was, I don't know how many, you know, I don't know how many performances of his that I've seen. I think that before the, before I saw his, uh, his cop movies, his crime movies in the 70s, I was primarily focused on him in the various spaghetti westerns that he did. Right. And then there, so I'm, I'm, I'm used to the, the mode that he is in when he's doing those. And so when I started to see him as, you know, especially in this movie, you start to see him as having real range and having the ability to play a lot of different kinds of emotions. And even though let's, let's be clear, uh, as, as interesting a character as he plays in this movie, the character doesn't even have a name. Yeah. (laughs) He's just the commissioner. That's it. He's so serious and he has this look of kind of despair on his face a lot of the time when yeah he knows even you know, when they when he keeps being confronted with more dead bodies and he's just like kind of resigned to the fact that you know he's not like you said he's not just going out guns blazing despite no. the uh, the poster but the poster is actually fab i'm using the poster for this film as our um podcast uh thumbnail so on yeah that's the that is the image from this movie, but um, well, let's also before we get into the plot, should we just mention Romolo Guerrieri? Oh dear, Guerrieri. the director, the director, <laughs> uh, Mr. Romolo. Um, he's quite. An, do you have any particular experience with his other films that he's been involved in? He wrote. It seems like he was assistant director on a lot of peplum films before he well, got as started. director i've seen a few of his movies um uh, sweet body of deborah but, but i haven't seen that in in a long time mm, i'm um, not sure i've ever seen that one recommended mm. yeah that's recommended. one of Cam- that's one of the carol baker jelly isn't it yeah uh, with a with an uh, ernesto gastaldi uh script right so once again you know well I think he wrote the story and I think he may have co-written the script I highly recommend anything that has that man's name attached to it Mm -hmm. Uh, Johnny Yuma I think I've seen but it's been a long time Mm -hmm. Um, I think I've seen one other of his cop movies I think I saw The Police Serve the Citizens Mm -hmm. Um, but once again long time ago uh, to the point where uh I have almost no memory of it. It's just that when I when I'm looking at the cast list, I'm going. I know I've seen that film somewhere before. Yeah, <laughs> but um, 
interesting to note that you know as a director he 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 had you know fewer than 20 credits officially as a writer fewer than 10 mm. but he he seems to have had a really strong niche I mean, he seemed to go from genre to genre, but he had a, a niche within the within the film community there in Italy. So that he, for a long period of time, was working pretty regularly from the, yeah. from the 60s all the way up through the 90s. So, Yeah, he seems to have retired about 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but but you know, from what I can tell, he's still alive, and the interview that's on the disc with him was only done about two years ago. Um, and of course, uh, just, just to entice you for... For, for future viewing that uh, I do not want to be a part of. Uh, he did make a movie in 82 called The Gorilla. Oh, yeah, looks, that looks amazing. Have you read the plot summary for that? See, that's just it. I read the plot synopsis <laughs> and did not go, that looks amazing. I read the plot okay. synopsis and went, I don't want to be anywhere near this. Okay, well, <laughs> we have to Okay, we have to read that now for the listeners. Uh, Ruby has been trained in martial arts by her father, and now has a job safeguarding a wide range of people and their valuables. A clumsy artist named Adelmo falls for Ruby at first sight, but remains clueless about her profession. Things are complicated by Adelmo's French neighbour and sometime model having a crush on him, and Ruby's father trying to hook up his daughter with various bodybuilders while putting the moves on the French girl. I mean, I don't know what you're talking about, Rob. There's nothing there. <laughs> There's nothing there that isn't, you know screaming quality <laughs> it's screaming something i'll tell it's, you that. Uh, it's a kind of late late in the cycle italian sex comedy um that maybe a few years earlier it might have starred edward Fenech. um <laughs> well it feels to me like a movie that was made uh that you know because you know the italians were always adapting to whatever was was making a lot of money at the time this feels like a definitely a post porkies kind of film mm. And so I, I do wonder how the how the uh, t- listen listen to me I'm I'm talking myself into watching this damn thing. Uh, <laughs> I, it does feel as if it it's it's the it's kind of an alteration in the in the usual way they went about these things. Yeah. And I don't know that that would necessarily make it more enjoyable for me, but I, I will admit to having some curiosity to what an '80s Italian. I guess sex comedy yeah. would well, would sm- would smell like. I mean, look like. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't think we're going to be fitting that in here anytime soon. But <laughs> you've always got the bloody pit. Uh, you know, I have a lot of things coming up there, I but uh, I don't. I don't have. I don't seem to have a slot for. I, I, oh, you know, there's, I don't it. have a slot there for that. Maybe yeah. maybe after I do the the gorilla movie with. Uh, with Crash Corrigan, I'll, I'll, I'll come. Oh up. yeah, they got a double bill. That would be uh, that would work. <laughs> yes, yes uh, I mean, perhaps, perhaps one of the reasons this film is less regarded than other sort of Poliziotesky films is the cast. Because aside from Thomas Milian, there's not really anybody particularly sort of well known, at yeah. least out, outside of Italy. It's a quite a small scale film with with people that you wouldn't really recognise. Um, no, no, none of your classic exploitation names, again, apart from Milian. Um, well, I, yeah, and I think that the only actor who who really seems to have had uh, a career that you know people can point to and 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 say, oh well, she was in this and this and this is the the female lead, mm-hmm. and the 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 three the three actors who play the the the, the dangerous trio of of wilding lunatics. Is is essentially uh, 
basically the general consensus seems to be that their performances are not up to snuff or one note. And I, I don't agree with that. I mean, yes, you could argue, I, I definitely would argue that, uh, at least one of the performances of the three is one note, but I also would point out that that is exactly what he was being told to do by any mm-hmm. stretch. That's exactly the performance he was being told yeah, to give. That's true. So blaming the actor for doing what he was told to do is, eh, yeah. I, think, I think, a little ridiculous. But. So you're talking about the character of uh, Geo, I think, aren't you, Benjamin Lev? Yeah, He's the yeah, one yeah. that just cracks jokes and laughs like a lunatic all the time. Yeah, played by Benjamin Lev. <laughs> who partway through shooting, the police turned up, arrested him, and then nobody saw him again. Oh, my God, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so they had to film um, using... It's kind of like the uh, fake Shemp in Evil Dead thing. They just had to film using stand-ins, shooting them from behind to try and fill the gaps where they didn't have him because he was gone. Which is bizarre because honestly, it, I can't tell that that's what they were. Yeah, I was really surprised to hear that. I, I did wonder whether that's why they killed him off, but oh, spoiler, they kill him off. Um, <laughs> well, but, how much of a spoiler is it to to, no. to note that uh, most of the cast list dies? So yeah, but yeah, it's quite. But I think it was some something to do with drugs. But he never acted again after this either. He yeah. had two. He had two films come out this year and then just basically disappeared. So. Um, yeah, it's quite, quite interesting um, that his own, it seems like his own personal life was quite close to the life of the character he was playing. But so so should, this this is a film that's quite similar to Savage 3 as well, yeah. I think. But shall we, um, I'll go through the plot here from Roberto Curti's book, the Italian crime filmography. And then let's see if there's anything on here that we want to pick up on. So yeah, so as you mentioned, we've got these three guys uh, the Blonde, and we've got, uh, who's played by Mario Farah. Uh, then we've got Joe, who's the kind of lunatic, and uh, Luigi, who is basically the driver of the trio. He's good at nicking cars and he's a good getaway driver. Mm-hmm. And um, the, the film starts, actually, well, this isn't in the, in the book here, uh, it sort of starts with the girlfriend who you've mentioned, uh, Leah, played by Eleonora Giorgi. And she's gone to the police because she's heard that her boyfriend and his friends are going to hold up a uh, petrol station and using fake guns. And she doesn't want her boyfriend getting into trouble. So she's gone to the police to try and get the police to stop it before it happens. Um, That's kind of where we start. But, well, it turns out that they're not fake guns after all. And uh, so, like he says here, so these three middle-class Milanese youths, yes, we are in Milan here with this one again. Yeah. Um, so they go to this this petrol station and it all goes pear-shaped because the police are there. And then they start shooting and the police start shooting. And we end up with, I think, two police dead, um, the, the petrol station employees dead. And they, um, yeah, they flee. Then they rob a bank where they kill two more people. And then <laughs> they go to this guy's oh, house. Well, they, yeah, and then they go to their, their the, the guy they buy guns from. Yeah, yeah, Ooh. and he, he's living in this uh, sort of villa. And he's got, we first, we're introduced to this guy, but he's in bed with two women who are asleep, all naked. 
And these guys are outside with a, with three other guys that they've met up with who I'm not sure we even get their names. Um, so now we've got a gang of six plus this guy who's the gun, uh, the arms dealer. They go into his house and whilst they're waiting for him to get dressed, they start partying with these girls. And there's quite a funny scene where they're all sort of in bed together under the sheets and it's all going crazy. And then they, they're running around the house and one of the girls is in a suit of armor for some reason. Yeah. Somehow they convince her to put her naked self inside a suit, a suit of armor. armor. And um, they tie the other one up and it's all relatively good natured fun. If your idea of good natured fun is sort of toxic masculinity uh, writ large. <laughs> um, but yeah, the guys are all just getting very carried away. But the blonde, the guy who's the you know, blondie or blonde, he's sort of quite removed from all this. He's the one who seems to be uh, stepping back. Luigi, likewise, who's the driver, he also doesn't seem to be joining in with all this macho heterosexual fun. Yeah. And I think later on we kind of, well, we start to realise that there's clearly unspoken feelings between these two guys. And that might explain why Luigi is sticking around with his two friends, despite the fact that they've just murdered a bunch of people. Uh, Because he didn't, it's important to say, Luigi didn't pull the trigger on anybody. He's just the driver. But um, it's a very interesting dynamic between these three guys. You've got Gio, who's just a nutter. and, And then Luigi and Blonde, who... Yeah, seem to have these sort of unspoken feelings that they don't. Well, the, want to do it's with. interesting to me that on on this on this go round rewatching this film, the most interesting thread to me, just to to pluck out and pay attention to the way it threads through the entire movie, was the the homosexual attraction between those two characters, and uh, you know the kind of repressed you know repressed feelings the 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 obvious you know this is the 70s so we're talking about gay fear here we're talking about yeah. uh something that also can't be ignored the film underlines it a couple of times by bringing it out as the kind of you you're right to talk about the the what we would call these days the toxic masculinity aspect of the way these characters are acting especially the uh the character played by benjamin lev who is the one who clearly does not have any homosexual concept within himself he's just he he he's the one who's more than happy to sling around any epithet and so he's he's the uh the he's kind of the the, he's the roving voice of toxic masculinity within the film because he's also just completely clueless about the fact that you know what what he is talking about and what he is making fun of on occasion is something he's standing right next to most of the time. <laughs> he's... Oh yeah, yeah, because he does actually. They later on, um, they come across two men camping in a in the middle of some woods. Yeah, and um, and he sort of makes jokes about the fact that they must yeah, he, be gay. He, yeah, he makes the he makes the the giant leap that these two yeah. guys are obviously gay, and it turns out that they're father and son. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, he's he's clearly completely oblivious to uh, what's you know his friends. Well, like I say, that to me on a rewatch is is one of the more interesting things to to watch for because once you realize that that is what's underpinning uh, so, some of the motivations of the uh, 
let's just call him the kill crazy lunatic who's leading these these three. Yeah. Once you realize that he's the he, you know he's he's dealing with his own homosexual feelings and not actually knowing how to deal with them in any in any really good way at all. Yeah. Uh, you, you start to see why certain things happen. Um, and, and like I say, the movie doesn't have someone standing there and, and telling you this is why this is happening. It, it's just once you look at the cause and effect of certain things, it becomes obvious. For instance, after they uh, pick up guns from this guy who's, who's selling them the guns, um, they decide to go and knock over this uh, supermarket in the middle of the day. Which, you know, to me says, whoa, they are, they're nuts. And um, they go to this place, but the, the, the guy who sold them the guns has insisted that uh, his, you know, the other, the other, that he go along in another car and his, his three accomplices also go along so that it's like essentially six of them who go in and the, the guy who sold them the gun waiting outside in the car. And once they uh, once they get inside there, everything's going swimmingly as far as you know, no bullets being fired really, except just at the ceiling to scare everybody. Yeah. Until one of the uh, the new people who've been brought along on this looks at this, you know, it looks at uh, oh gosh, what is the blonde, what is the blonde? Yeah, the the blonde just, character, just blonde. Yeah, the the the, the, lead, the leader of this group of, of kill crazy lunatics. And uh, they've, you know, they've clearly succeeded. They're about to leave the building, and he looks at him and and uh, makes a ki- makes a kissing uh, mm. face at him. He kind of you know, uh, throws him a kiss, and this instantly makes him makes him dead because our blonde yeah. our blonde leader of the trio kills him. And then the rest of them open up on the other two guys. And so the only ones who exit are our original trio of, of yeah. guys who go out to the cars. The uh, the uh, guy who sold them the guns is sitting there in the car, asks, well, where are the other yeah, guys? He's like, well, and, yeah, wait for my guys. And then they just say, sorry, and shoot him. Yeah. And so without, you know, this could have been in this, in, in the blonde fellows, I, you know, it could have been in his head all along to do this, to get rid of mm. these people. But it does play as if, that that kind of you know uh, effeminate winking at him in this time of you know high adrenaline rush is what causes him to yeah. to kill these other guys. Um, not that he seems to need much invitation to just start slaughtering right. human beings, but yeah. the uh, that that trigger moment right there is really really instructive. Yeah, um, it's really interesting. Yeah, and so the, and so once you notice that, I mean, if you if you skip past that and not, and don't notice it, that like I say, there are more, there are more than a few other moments in the movie, and of course, then later in the movie, the um, the uh, female lead uh, played by uh, Eleonora Georgi. Yeah, she's she she's kind of amazing. She's you know she she had a long she had a very long career, and I mm-hmm. I, I really do like her performance in this movie because man, she got some hard. Some some hard some hard lifting to do here in some yeah. of these scenes. It's quite a thankless role that she has. Yeah, them. yeah, but and yeah. some, some of the things important. she's asked to do are rough. Yeah, uh, in, in that I mean I mean as as an actor because she mm-hmm. has to you know she has to to kind of communicate two or three different things at the same time sometimes within just the space of a couple of lines of dialogue, and she's pretty darn good at it. And I'm I'm really kind of impressed by her. I mean I, mm-hmm. I I remember her from Inferno, you know Argento's Inferno. Oh yeah. 
and uh, a few uh, a few other movies along the way. But this this is the movie where I think uh, she she stands out as someone who you know there's a reason. She, in other words, I see the reasons that she probably had a long career. Yeah, uh, there's some ability here. There's some some attention to detail as far as performance is concerned. But she's um, she at a certain point in conversation with the the uh, the driver character who is essentially is uh, he's Luigi, right? He's the yeah, Luigi. Uh, He's ostensibly her boyfriend and she just flat out tells him, look, I I can see what's going on here. That there's some, you know, that there's a homosexual attraction. She doesn't use that word, yeah, but she she essentially says, says, she she says you love him or, you know, you're you're in love with each other. Yeah. Yeah. And so she's the one that's, (laughs) it's impossible for her to miss. It's impossible, you know, both because of the relationship she already has with the, the, uh, the uh, other, with the third, the third guy here, but also because she, can see it in every way also it's just all all, the way in which she's treated she's not treated in any kind of vicious or mean-spirited way it's like she's not getting slapped around she's not getting physically abused but she is you know they do take her that she is kidnapped she is forced to go along with this situation i think they start to suspect that she's been talking to the police because the the right the, the police know what's going on and obviously she tipped them off right at the beginning so the police know who all these guys are Mm-hmm. Um, there's a great scene earlier in the film when um, the commi- commissario, the commissioner, has brought their parents in, and oh, he's sitting there with the with the parents of these guys, trying to understand what's happened to them. Why are they doing this? Because also, um, Leah says to him at one point, "You know, you should be asking what makes these guys do this. Why are they doing this?" Which also reminded me of Savage Three, where it's a sort of similar thing. We why are these guys who've who are perfectly successful and they've got jobs and, you know, why are they doing this stuff? And it's a sort of similar thing here, quite trying to understand what's driving these guys who've got perfectly fine lives to go on this robbery and murder spree. And so he's talking to them and then the dad of one of them, I forget which one it is, uh, the mother has died and so he's just bringing him up on his own. And when he sort of asks him what's going, you know, why, what's happened here? And he says how he's always traveling and he has to go and work and he's not at home. And he says to the commissioner, basically, I either look after him or I, I provide for him. So, you know, I'm either there or I'm providing for him. And Thomas Millian does this brilliant speech about how basically it's their fault that these guys are doing what they're doing, that it's the parents have let them down. Mm-hmm. They weren't, they weren't there for them. Um, I've got it here, actually. There's a translation of it here. He says, talking to your children, listening to them. When you don't talk, the problems start. The weakest ones use drugs. The more violent and disturbed ones start killing people for no reason. If your son is a monster, it's your fault for not having given him the necessary love and support. And he really lays it on thick. <laughs> like yeah. these, parents, these parents are left in no doubt whatsoever that they've created monsters. Oh, I know. And I, the, the way he wraps it up by saying, and, that, and, and now... We have to go out yeah. and take care of these monsters you've created. So they uh, so they go on the run after after the the shopping uh, robbery or the supermarket robbery. They try and get false passports from these guys on a in a scrapyard who clearly just deal in false passports. But by this point, their their trail of destruction uh, means they're very well known 
to the police and everyone knows who they are so they won't give them passports so yeah this this is the point in the movie where the film touches on their attempts to this is the only contact they really have with what what you could call organized crime yeah and the organized crime people who had agreed i mean they had the passports made up for them and everything beforehand because this deal was struck you know yeah a couple of weeks before they they want nothing to do with them because they're too well known now yeah so blonde jumps behind the wheel and then basically they gun them down they gun one of them down and chase the other guy around and then crush him against a a pile of cars Mm -hmm. um but then one of the cars that's stacked is really good the scene is really good i think there's a car stacked on top of the pile and it falls down and lands on their car um i think by this point we may have already had a car chase as well a small one we've had we've had a couple there's a really couple of really good car chases in this movie there's there's a brilliant there's one brilliant one that's about i don't know about 55 minutes into the movie holy crap it's great yeah that might be here when they start they're trying to escape to switzerland and so they sort of drive trying to get out of milan but all the roads are blocked and so yeah there's a really good car chase there's cops chasing them there's cars getting wrecked um there's cars jumping down staircases and all kinds of cool stuff mm-hmm. yeah it's well, very the, exciting the, that's that is the that's the thrill ride moment i think in this movie that you know, fans of this genre who weren't looking for a juvenile delinquent film about latent homosexuality <laughs> might actually enjoy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's very good. And, and we there's one point where Luigi pulls off this really cool move and, and Blonde looks at him with such kind of respect. And oh, yeah, the admiration so just beams off yeah. of him, yeah. <laughs> um, but eventually, well, they just can't get past the roadblocks. So they... Um, they have to they, they they see an old abandoned farmhouse and they dump the car there um oh, meanwhile before, Louis... we, before we go past oh, yeah. that car uh, well, let's take note of the fact that that is not actually their car they borrow this car from what appears to be a wealthy uh friend oh, and yeah. so uh it's it's a very expensive car is it a rolls or something I don't know. I yeah i can't remember i, I have to go back and i lose again. track because they keep stealing cars all the way through yeah, as well yeah yeah but this at this, one point they steal a car they they mm-hmm. oh no this oh sorry that's after this carry on we'll get to that oh but but that that very expensive car is the one that they crush the guy with in the junkyard and then the car falls on top of it destroying it and there's a part of me that goes man was that planned or was that an accident i know it kind of looks like it just happened when they were filming doesn't it because it looks genuinely it's fantastic yeah yeah so they steal another car i think and then they end up dumping it in this uh farm and trying to walk, they walk over the fields, round the um, the road. Yeah, they're avoiding a roadblock because and, they. But then they steal a car on the other side, mm-hmm. um, which you know they're very good at. Um, and then, but then eventually they can't, they just can't do it, so they have to walk. And this is where they get into some woods, and they meet these campers that we mentioned. Um, all the time as well, Luigi is talking to Leah. He wants Leah to get out of here. He wants her to get away. He he knows yeah. what's going to happen. And he wants her to try and escape, but the blonde is determined to keep her there because he thinks she's going to go to the police. And it becomes this—it's all very tense um, between them, and because we we basically know that they're doomed, but it's just a matter of how doomed. 
and is yeah. who who's going to get to them first or are they going to end up shooting each other is she going to get away who knows I don't want to give it all away because I do think this is a film I mean I think we've said this probably with all of them this is definitely a film that people should check out and perhaps because it's slightly less well known I don't want to give the entire thing away um, even yeah, though I, like, you, I, like, like I, you said it's not that much of a surprise to discover that not everybody makes it to the end <laughs> well no but at the same time it is a bit of a surprise to this to, to to find that amongst you know fans of this genre people who concentrate on this genre this is kind, you know there's there's a certain lack of respect for it in a weird way and it's very i find that very odd yeah it's great yeah um, i think I, this is a fantastic film yeah and just to see thomas millian almost unrecognizable as a as a very serious police commissioner who's d- doing things by the book he's not like you said he's not going on going rogue well yeah um, i mean tom a, a thomas Milian <laughs> performance in which he looks like he has had a shower yeah uh, he has shaved <laughs> he's not covered in sweat and grime um, yeah it's yeah, it's kind of a shock yeah because we've seen him on the other side of this as well when the police are after him obviously i'm thinking of something like almost human or something like that yeah um yeah what a performance in that i know so different i'm I'm serious i was about half an hour in before i twigged that he was the commissioner i just didn't even realize that's bizarre to me man because i didn't even recognize he has such an unmistakable face but he does but i'm so used to seeing him with big curly hair and a beard and scruffy clothes that (laughs) that's what i was looking for i suppose not this serious middle-aged uh straight (laughs) cop but the only way we know that he's getting rattled is the longer we get on in the film, the more his um, he's pulling his tie down. Like when the film starts, his collar is done up and his tie is all the way up. And then he just keeps loosening it and loosening it. But he never takes his tie off. And he's nope. still got his, he's got his suit and his waistcoat on. But he just loosens his tie more and more and more. That's about the only sign that he's getting hacked off here but uh but the ending <laughs> as well i don't want to give it away but it's a really good ending yes so, I, I i agree it's an exceptional ending and yeah. one that um you think you know how it's going to end and it's it's uh, a little a little different yeah uh, it's great so yes do seek this one out so i know it's on so it's on blu-ray uh in europe uh from a company in austria you said it was on uh raro dvd uh, you're here in the states. I I'm, yeah. I'm, I can't remember. It may be out of print at this point. Mm. No, it's and without it's giving not... too much away. It's also available for viewing on YouTube. So. Oh, is it? Oh, okay. There you go. So, no one's got any excuses. I think it's. Um... Oh yeah, I'm looking now. And it also, it's also available to watch for 50p on Google Play. So there you go. Uh, and oh. I would just like to say that, as an aside, as a complete and total aside. I had uh, this. This is the first time I've really looked in depth at the long list of credits of Mr. Milian. Uh, he, I do, I do love his work, and I have to say that there is a part of me that wishes that there was some way that I could very easily put together uh, uh, a viewing party of uh, the American television series that he was in here, <laughs> because he was in uh, an episode of Miami Vice in '85. Oh, he was in an episode, uh, it was in actually a couple of episodes of The Equalizer, also in the oh, 80s. Oh, nice. 
Yes, exactly. He was in um, an episode of L.A. Law in 91. Murder, She Wrote. Murder, She Wrote in 92. Boy, do yeah. I want to see him in that. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, in the HBO series Oz, he played a particular character in that for a couple of episodes. Right. And then turns up in the year 2000 in an episode of Law and Order. Is Holy crap. <laughs> yeah, because he basically would just get cast as any kind of foreign person because mm-hmm. we, we think we, it's easy to assume he was Italian but he's actually Cuban yeah he was Cuban um, and he was his American parents born in Cuba but spent so long working in Europe but then went back to America and spent the last yeah like 20-30 years of his career working in America but generally playing South American type roles he just had that look that he could. He's a little bit like Ben Kingsley, like he yeah. can just play any kind of foreigner. Well, what I think <laughs> is amazing is that he, I mean, through through the through the end of his before you know before he appears to have just you know said ah, that enough's enough, and he really kind of stopped taking roles for the most part. I mean, he would turn up. He turns up in a Spielberg film. He's in Amistad. Yes, he's in, which is he's a, in a Soderbergh film. He's in Traffic for Soderbergh. Uh, it's uh you know he's and he's doing television episodes you know and it's bizarre it's bizarre to note that you know i wonder if he was just taking roles that interested him at that point it's so hard to know i'd love to i'd love to get a sense of what it was like for him you know going from a guest spot on law and order to working with steven spielberg you know yeah and um yeah and he only um he only passed away like five years ago yeah, I think yeah. He, he's done quite a lot of interviews. There are some good interviews with him on various different discs. Um, but yeah, really cool guy. I've just been now looking through his credits. I've worked it out that the films that I saw him in, there are two films where he plays the character Nico Giraldi. There's one called Little Italy, where mm-hmm. he's an undercover cop who goes to New York. <laughs> and also then there was a sequel um, called Squadra Anti-Gangsters. And oh, they're man, both directed, Bruno Corbucci made Yeah, that. Bruno Corbucci. So that's the ones I saw where he's just, it's almost wearing this ridiculous costume as an undercover cop. And he's got this big hat. He's got a massive scarf. Uh, he's got the eyeliner, the full thing. Uh, so that's, in my head, that's what Thomas Millian looks like. He does not look like he does in uh, Young, Wild and Dangerous. So, uh, but yeah, there you go. So those films were actually a couple of years after he did this one. But weirdly, what, what a career though. Yeah. Man. Weirdly, he looks younger in those two films than he does in this one. It's it's to be honest, I think a lot of that is just in his acting ability. Yeah. He, he if he wants to look a certain way, he looks a certain way. If he wants to look a different way, he does. I mean the the you know when you think about it's the same actor in you know the Big Gun Down and Face to Face. Yeah, and, I love the Big Gun Down. So oh, I know, good. I love these movies. It's the same actor. Uh, and and then he's he's the same actor who is also in Don't Torture a Duckling. You know he's he's not to That's mention true. almost human. Yeah. But and and then and then the, the very cool, detached, but incredibly effective cop that he plays in something like Syndicate Sadists, uh, where he's you know in action cop mode big time. It's, he's he's he, he was he was so good. And like I say, I would I would have thought 
that he wouldn't have needed his arm twisted to have a different kind of role yeah. like he plays in this. I think it would have been, I, to my mind, it would be one of those things that an actor who's working so much at that time would have felt like this This will be the thing that you know kind of shakes me out of a rut, makes me do something different. Uh, you know, because at the same time, he's, he's starring in, you know, films like Tough Cop and The Cynic, The Rat, and The Fist, and you're just like, those are similar kinds of performances, no matter how you slice the films themselves or, or which side of the law the character he's playing ends up on. He's, 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 he's really good in this. Like I said, it's, it's, it's interesting that they don't even bother to give the character a first or even a last name. He's just the commissioner. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty amazing. And um, I think we haven't seen the last of him either. Probably I think, not. Um, yeah, our next film on the list is actually Freehand for a Tough Cop. So that'll be more, Ooh. yeah, that'll be more Thomas Millian um, alongside Claudio Casanelli. Uh, well, let, let's let people that's know. That's a fun movie. Uh, Freehand for a Tough Cop. What what is a, what are, what are the various titles that one's known under so people oh. can seek it out? Uh, well, so it's also down as Tough Cop, and so it's just, just come out. It's, okay, it's come out on Blu-ray just recently over here as Freehand for a Tough Cop. Okay, but um, I think maybe in America it's known as Tough Cop. So, yeah, that's our next one, and more Thomas Millian again, curly hair, beard, back to normal, <laughs> <laughs> looking like a looking like a hippie who somehow managed to become a police officer. Yeah, yeah. yeah brilliant well uh thank you rod again uh for doing this um i really appreciate your insight and your ex- the experience of your of these films that you bring i don't know this. about insight it's just uh, a, 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 an observational eye yeah yeah no, it's good it's good so thank you everybody for listening um we will try and get another episode out soon um and yeah do let us know what your favorite Poliziotesky films are or your favorite Thomas Millian films are. Oh We'd yeah, definitely. To. That's a, that's two lists that I would love to hear about, yep. about so, uh, from people. Yeah. So you can email us on wildwildpodcast at gmail.com or find us on Twitter, uh, the wild, wild pod. I think we are. We're also on Instagram. All the links as usual are in the show notes. Um, that's it from me. Uh, thank you very much. And, uh, that's it also from rod yes yes thank you thank you folks for listening to the show i don't know how to end these things um <laughs> it's fine it's cool we we've been wild wild podcast and we will be back again soon bye bye everyone <laughs>
They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.